Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Our point of view is critical, guys, when it, when, when really when difficult things happen to us, right? The way we see it. Uh, a great example of a person transforming calamity into his Christ-like point of view was a fellow by the name of David Watson. Watson ministered in England and he died of cancer before these words were actually published. And he writes this, quote, it's sometimes only through suffering that we begin to listen to God. Our natural pride and self-confidence have to be stripped painfully away and we become aware, perhaps for the first time, of our own personal needs. During the ministry of Jesus on earth, a tower fell in Siloam and killed 18 innocent people. Why did God allow it, was the immediate question, pressed by those around him. Jesus replied, not by answering the question of suffering, nor by giving a satisfactory solution to this particular tragedy. Instead, he came back to the practical challenge of God's word. He says, and I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. It may sound a little bleak, Watson writes, but Jesus was far more concerned with the personal's eternal well-being than merely satisfying an intellectual curiosity. Here, he was dealing not with the question of why, listen church, but with the question of what. What is God saying in this calamity? Watson concludes, through the unexpected diagnosis of cancer, I was forced to consider carefully my priorities in life and to make some necessary adjustments. I still do not know why God allowed it, nor does it bother me, but I am beginning to hear what God is saying. And this has been enormously helpful to me, unquote. Listen, I believe, church, that down on earth, God is shaping us so that we will fit up there. I believe, guys, that part of life is, 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 and part of suffering, if you will, is just part of living radical. And you go, well, how so? Well, suffering is a part of the transformation into Christ-likeness. Wait, 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 Ben, stop. Are you telling me that we suffer so that we can become more like Christ? Well, yes, very much so. It's the transformation. But it's also, church, if we're being honest, it's also the very part of everyday life. Everyday life. We lived in a day and age, church, where there wasn't any social media and you didn't hear a whole lot of what's going on. But today, you'll know what's going on in real time. The struggles and the tragedies of life, you will know instantaneously. So much so, church, when you scroll up, whether it's your, it's your internet or your Facebook or whatever social media you choose to employ, we've become a little bit hardened to the tragedies that we see in life. Suffering, guys, is a part of the transformation to Christ-likeness. Now, consider with me the peoples from all walks of life living radical for God. 
Why? Because it comes in all kinds of ways. You go, for example, yes. For example, we've talked about four persons that were living radical, each and basically each one very different. You go, how so? Well, you remember Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus. We started out with him. He had what we call an encounter with Jesus. Now, let me just, let me just sidestep here and, and, and parenthetically tell you that's what we're here for. We come to hear the word of God. We don't come to see the pastor or the, or the building or anything else or socialize with her. We're coming to, we need an encounter with God. Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus. He had a real encounter with Jesus. And because of that, he got radically saved. You go, what do you mean? Well, I mean, you guys know this. Think about this. He gave away half of his wealth. He was a very rich man. He gave half of it. Listen, I don't care. I'm saved. Why? Because he realized that it wasn't all about this earth. It was about the, the world to come, where he was going to spend eternity. He also gave back, guys, four times what he had stolen. Listen, when you encounter the living God, your life will be different. Some would even look at you and say, radical. You've had a radical transformation. I remember you last year. You didn't even, now you're just, Wow. And then we talked about Daniel. And Daniel we love because we dared to be a Daniel. How so, Pastor? Well, he and his compadres, well, what did they do? Well, they simply lived for God in a world that was headed in the wrong direction. Can we relate or what? The world is going this way, and we want to be swimming up this way, and that's exactly what Daniel did. Why? He said he declared to the people, he says, I am a Hebrew, not a heathen. I'm going to follow God. I'm a Hebrew. And he chose to live for God, guys, on a, on a daily basis. Regardless of what anyone else was doing, he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that would be a good heart. Amen right there. Because that's what we want to do. We want to live for God regardless of what anybody else is doing. Daniel lived radically simply by living for God in a world that wasn't living for God. And then we talked about another lady. It's a lady called Tabitha. Some people in the Bible call her Dorcas. And, and, and she had an encounter with Jesus. She had an encounter. What did she do? Well, here is a woman who stepped out of her comfort zone, and she served. She lived a radical life by meeting the needs of those around her. Guys, it takes a very special person to go, hey, listen, I know that there's some needs, and I want to meet those needs, and, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to meet those needs. I, I, even if I can sew needle and thread, that's what I'm going to do, and that's what, that's what Dorcas did. The Bible calls her a disciple. So we know that she had an encounter with Jesus. Do you realize that that's exactly what should happen when we walk with Jesus on a daily basis? We know we are not simply Christians, but we are disciples of God. We are disciples. Oh, not in the prideful sense. Not in the, I'm a disciple, look at me. Do you want me to sign your autograph? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, guys, a disciple where you go, listen, it's nothing else in this world matters. Listen, I, I have my family. I love my family. I love my, I love my church and I love my house and I love my community and I, that, all of that's great. But I'm talking that you're a disciple. You're a disciple. Last week, we talked about Jonathan. Do you remember him? He was King Saul's son and David's BFF. Here was a man who stepped out in faith and said, I want to see what God's going to do. I'm going to see what God's going to do. I want my life to count for something. You see, I don't just want to exist. I don't just want to say, here's my birth date, here's my death date. What did you, what did you do in your life? You know, I just, I sort of lived 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it was, and then I died and that was it. And I went to heaven. Hooray! 
But he stepped out and said, listen, I'll do, I'll, I don't know what God will do. I'm going to do something. Here's what I love about Jonathan, guys, is that he stepped out in faith to watch God work on behalf of, of Israel. And I'm thinking, what does God want to do with your life? You want to step out in faith and see. I'll never forget, guys, I was, I was uh, we, we were living in Missouri at the time, and we went back to our home church in Santa Fe. It was Calvary Chapel, Santa Fe. I remember exactly where I was sitting. The pastor was teaching, and he taught in such a way that I remember looking up, and I said, Lord, if you could ever use me in a way to teach the word of God like that, if you could ever use me, God, and I prayed, God, give me the gift of teaching. I want to step out in faith and try it. I want to see what God will do. And that's exactly what that's exactly what God has called us to do. We want to live radically, guys. We want to step out. We knew that Jonathan was we knew he was a leader, right? And you go, how do you know he was a leader? I mean, because basically the armor bearer said, Whatever you want to do, let's go. And don't you know, in order to be a leader, you need to have someone to follow you. And the armor bearer is like, I'm ready. Let's go over there and see what happens. Okay, and there he goes. And we know he was a humble man. Why? Because he knew David was supposed to be king, and he accepted his place. Guys, being a, being a radical follower of Jesus Christ means we know our place. We're secure in who we are in Jesus, not in what anybody else tells us. We're secure in who we are. I love the words that he quoted. These are famous words. He said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. And I think that's what anytime we step out, we say, we don't see what, see what God will do. Well, pastor, I tried and I failed. Well, praise the Lord. You learned, didn't you? Yes. I like the way the message puts Jonathan's reaction in the message. It says, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come now, let us cross over these uncircumcised pagans. Maybe God will work for us. There's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to it. I love that. Let me break this down for you guys. If you're taking note, here's what radical living means. You ready? Number one, if we see Zacchaeus, you had a real encounter with Jesus. I hope everyone in this room says, amen. I've had a real encounter. I know who he is. The second way, the second um, living radical means that you begin to live your life for Jesus every day, like Daniel. It's not a hit and miss. It's not like, hey, it's like I'm going to get up and I'm going to purpose. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to purpose to be a, a Christian. I'm not going to be a heathen. I'm going to follow Jesus. Third, you begin to step out in faith and you begin to meet the needs of the body. How so, guys? Listen, we're not commanded to simply sit in the blue chairs. We're commanded to serve, find some needs and go, I want to meet that need. It's just the most amazing thing. Why? Because God has made the body of Christ so unique and so different that he's given every one of us different gifts. And so you can meet a need. How? By serving the body of Christ. Pastor, where is there a need? Great question. There's two things you should ask the pastor. Where is there a need? And yes. Where is there a need? Yes, I'll do it. Well, why do you say yes? I haven't told you what it is. It doesn't matter. All I know is what God has done for me. I'm willing to do whatever for him. And of course, the last one, it means that Living radical means you step out in faith and find your place in ministry. 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians, guys, that I am the equipper, but you all are the ministers. I'll equip you in here, but you all are the ministers. Did you realize that? I don't know if you realize that you all are in full-time ministry. That's what the Word of God says. For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so you have to find your place. God, where, where do you want me? Where's my place? Where's my place? But radical living also means, guys, that there may be a time in your journey with God that, that living radical means suffering. I want to think about this for a moment, guys. Most of the Psalms were born out of difficulty, was there not? Most of the epistles, where were they written from? Prison. I mean, it would be easy for me to write an epistle to the family of God sitting on a beach, enjoying the comfort and the sun. Oh, praise God, family. Most of the Word of God was written... Think about this, guys. Think about this. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time had to pass through the fire. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from jail. Florence Nightingale, too ill to move from her bed, reorganized the hospitals in England. During a great part of his life, American historian Francis Parkman suffered so acutely that he could not work for more than five minutes at a time. His eyesight was so wretched that he could that he could scrawl only a few gigantic words on a manuscript, yet he contrived to write 20 magnificent volumes of history. Pastor, your point, you ready? Sometimes it seems that when God is about to make a preeminent use of men, he's going to put him through the fire. Sometimes, church, listen, it seems that when God is about to use us in our greatest giftings, he's going to put us through the fire. And that's where we find our profile today. Job is presented as good and proper, prosperous family man who is beset with horrendous disasters that take away all he holds dear, including his offsprings, his health, his property, he, like us, struggles to understand the situation and begins to search for answers to his difficulties. And that's just like us. Whenever something, whenever there's, there's suffering or tragedy, our first question often is, why? Why, Lord, why? I don't understand. It, Am I right, church? Those are the questions. I don't understand. why we, we long and we beg to understand why we're going through this or why somebody else is going through this or why this family had that difficulty. Why, Lord, I don't understand. And Job began to search for answers. And now for the sake of time, we can't go through the entire 42 chapters, but we can go through the first two. And so we're going to take a brief look at the first two chapters and we're going to talk about a man who lived radically, but he suffered as well. Suffering, church, is the hardest problem to understand, is it not? It's a, it's a puzzle. Think of the Lord Jesus on the cross. His, his experience was terrible. He had the most awful physical sufferings, 
mental pain and despair, spiritual sense of being alone. Did he not cry out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? This was, this was Jesus, and people often talk about suffering in certain ways. You realize that most of them say that they believe that they don't deserve it. I don't know why I did this. What I, this kind of suffering often brings awful despair. As these times, Job's bad experience can help them as well as us. And that's where we pick up our story tonight, okay? Job chapter 1, verse 1, notice what it says. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Let me tell you what he's saying, man. Job was a man who lived in Uz. He was honest inside and out. He was a man of his word. He was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. This is a man that we could say lived radically for God. He lived radically for God. Why? Think about it. He was honest inside and out. He was a man of his word who totally devoted to God and he hated evil with a passion. Listen to me, church. Jot this down. Radical living starts out with honesty, integrity, and devotion. Let me say that again. Radical living for Jesus, not for ourselves, starts out with honesty, integrity, and devotion on all the while having hearts that break for what breaks God's heart. You guys tracking with me? All the while you're going, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And so now verses 2 and 3 give us some insight into Job's life. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Oh, He's a family man. Let me not fail to mention before we move on that obviously Job had to have a wife in order to have these children. You go, Pastor, the point, here it is. There was a mother involved here. We want to keep her in mind. He also had possessions of 7,000 sheep, 300 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. Now you go, Pastor, what does that mean to me? Here it is. You ready? Jot this down. Today, you know, Job in today's time would be considered a multi-millionaire. That's what he would be. He would be off the chain wealthy. He'd be on the front page of every newspaper. This is what he'd do, right? The Bible also says that he had a great family and he had a very, very nice house. Church, you go, well, there it is. There it is. There it is. There it is, Pastor. I'm off the hook because Job was rich. I'm not rich. I'm broke. Job was rich. No, no, no. Listen, do you realize by world standards, If you've eaten today, you are considered rich. Pastor, all I had is a banana. But that's on you. But I'm just saying, what I'm saying is, if you have food in your fridge, you're, by world standards, you're considered filthy rich. So, 
that applies. You just say, well, that's not me, that's Job. No, 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 it applies. But the thing I want to point out is, is that is that if you were to look at Job, you would think he has it all. He has it all. And of course, look at verse 4, and he says, and his sons would go and feast at their houses each on a, his appointed day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, quote, It may be that the, my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Your attention, please. Do you see it in Scripture? The first point I want to pull out of here is that Job's family loved each other. You go, your point? Guys, think about it. Job was a good example, and his family followed suit. Think, th- Listen, it says his sons would have a feast, and they invited their sisters. Now, here's, here, here's what I'd love to see. Here's what I'd love to see in our congregation. Here's what I'd love to see in our city, that we could bury the hatchet with some of the stuff that, we, that goes on in our families. I mean... I mean, when it comes down to it, listen, family is all we have. And, and sometimes we let, li- and I'm not saying, I'm not talking about legitimate things where you've tried and, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go there, but what I'm saying is the little things that we've allowed to ca- cause bitterness in our hearts and a little bit of distance from, from a family member, we need to, we need to bury that. Well, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Be willing to give it. They didn't ask me. I forgive them. I forgive them. That's the first thing. And the second thing we see that Job loved his family. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful admonition to us dads. Why? Because he would rise early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings. He goes, I don't know if they sinned or not, but I want to just make sure. And he said, and, and Job did this regularly. You go, Pastor, what is he doing? I don't, I, I don't want to offer a burnt offering. No, but dads, listen to me. Dads, get up and you be praying for your wife and you be praying for your family. It's a responsibility. That's beautiful that Job did this. The idea of the description seems to be that Job's family had a happy and close relationship. And of course, this reinforces the idea that Job and his family were obviously greatly blessed. And it doesn't seem to indicate that they were unduly or given over to festivity or pleasure-seeking. They happily celebrated the special days Probably their birthdays. I don't want to. I don't want to put a, a big downer on the message, but but I don't know if there's any one of us that wouldn't say, "Man, I wish we had," and you can fill in the blank back, and and we would do it big for her birthday. We would do it big for his birthday. And so we we we've just got to, Pastor. What are you saying, guys? Let's let's celebrate the here and now. I think it was Solomon in Ecclesiastes that said, listen, let's live for now. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Take those moments. Wrap up those moments. Tell people you love them. Live for them now. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. And the enemy wants to get us so, help me church, busy that we forget. 
We forget our immediate family. Just to say, I love you. I love you. We forget our extended family, our church family. Love you. Of course, now something's happening a little bit different in heaven. Look at at verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from where? Going to and fro the earth and walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. He's blameless, upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and the possessions have increased in the land. But now, God, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. To your face. You know what I love about this? I love, first and foremost, and here's, here's my hope, right? Could we, could we make this our hope? That God would say, hey, my servant Ricky, my servant, you know, Joe, look at, I mean, whoever it is, you put your name there. Here's my servant, right? Have you considered my servant? There is none like her, like him. Why? Because the Lord sees you as blameless, upright, and one who fears God and shuns evil. Okay, spoiler alert. You get that through Jesus. That's, that's the whole point. But, but here's what I love. You know what Satan is accusing Job of? Being protected by God. And that's where I want to be. Well, Pastor Ben, that, that Christianity, it's just a crutch. No, it isn't just a crutch. It is a hospital, man. And I am sick, and that's where I want to be. God, protect me all the way around. Listen, well, you're just serving God because he protects you. That's all he's saying, right? Think about this. Look what he's saying. You've made a hedge around him. I say, amen, God, please. Around his household, protect my household. And all around he has every side. You have blessed him and the work of his hands. And his possessions have increased in the land. He says, but now let me show you something. Stretch out your your hand and touch him. And surely he will curse you. This is interesting. Here we have Satan claiming that Job, listen to me, church, that Job only serves the Lord for material gain. He tells God that if you take away everything Job has, he would curse you and he would renounce you. Do you see that? That's what he's claiming. Now, here's my point, and I want you to jot this down. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. Guys, we don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. That's exactly, we we don't follow Jesus, guys, because he's going to make our lives better. We are going to be followers of Jesus because he's better than any of this that I could ever have or bring or do. Many people follow Jesus because they're hoping for a prosperous life. 
one that's easy or little comfort, one full of material blessings. But one thing we need to learn, guys, is when we follow, we follow Jesus no matter what life brings, that he is our only hope. Jobs will come and go, trust me. I used to think I was, you know, I was the man. That, like, they would never get rid of me. I am, I am, you know, Mr. Businessman, you need me. And when I quit, they said, goodbye, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Jobs come and go, Joe? They come and go. People in our lives come and go. They will. He's the only hope. The enemy wants to get our eyes, guys, on, on what's going on down here, not on the life to come. You're looking at me like you don't get it. Okay, let me illustrate it this way. You mamas who've had a baby, you know what I'm talking about? You have a baby and it's in your belly for nine months. What is that baby doing in your belly? It's preparing to enter this world, is it not? That's the whole point. Now, the first month, you're all happy and giddy, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Come nine months, you're like, get this out of me now. I can't move, I can't sit, it's hot. The point is, from day one to the nine month, guys, the baby has been preparing itself to enter this world, and this is what you have been doing here is that God is preparing you in this world for the one to come. What would happen if, if your baby said, I ain't coming out. I like it in here. I get three squares a day. Are you kidding me? It's like a pool. It's warm in the, it's warm in the winter and cool in the summer. I ain't getting out. What does doctors do? We're going we're gonna to take you out. It's the same thing here. It's the same. What, what, we don't want to put everything so focused down here that we go, man, I'm not ready to go. That's what Job is going on. That's what he's saying. Guys, the problem with this thinking, this kind of thinking, following for blessings, it's that when life gets hard, people bail on God. You realize that, right? Hey, how many of you want to give your life to Jesus? You give your life to Jesus, man. Good things are going to happen to you. You're going to, you, your rent is going to be automatically paid. You're going, you're going to have all this money. You come to Jesus. Come right now and, and move forward and come. And, 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 and here's the thing, guys. And people will come and they'll expect the blessings and the blessings and the blessings and the material. And then when, when, when it doesn't happen, they go, what's up? And they'll turn from God and go, I don't, I, that was false. I thought, I thought that if I gave my life to Jesus that my prodigal child would come home. I thought if I gave my life to Jesus, my marriage would be restored. And God can do all of that. But if it doesn't, that should not be the basis for following Jesus. We have to stop and do a heart check, church. We have to stop and do a heart check. Why am I following you, Lord? Why am I following you? Are you better than anything that I could ever imagine? Why am I following you? Guys, when life gets hard, 
people bail. You go, well, give me an example. Well, you don't have to turn there, but just listen. In John chapter 6, guys, we see Jesus teaching the people a very hard teaching. You remember that? You go, what was he teaching? He was teaching them that if you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no communion. You have no, you have no fellowship with me, right? And so they're going, are you serious? We're not going to eat you? Drink your blood? That's weird. Jesus, but of course he was talking metaphorically that if, that basically that eating the blood and drinking was that we would what? That we would basically, that using his body metaphor became, means becoming one with him, accepting him. And, and again, that's what Jesus is talking about in that whole passage. But they're thinking, whoa, what's going on here? As a matter of fact, in verse 58 of chapter 6, it says, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread lives forever. So he's talking about eternal life. He's not talking about physical bread. And then in verse 60, he says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Why you... I don't get it, Lord. And Jesus says, does this offend you? For many it, it did, and this was a hard thing to swallow. And what I find interesting is John chapter 6, verse 66. So 666, find it very interesting. You go, what's that verse say? It says, after he speaks these things, here's what he says. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Wow. They're following Jesus. They're eating the bread. They're watching the miracles. It's bread and circuses, guys. They're, they're going, Jesus, look at this. If we follow him, we're going to see a miracle. Let's go, man. Come on, let's go. I wonder what we're going to see today. Maybe he'll raise somebody from the dead. I don't know. What do you think? Yep, that's cool. I'm getting a little hungry. Do you think he's, you think he's got some food there? Maybe he was. Last time we just ate something. We are so full. It's so cool. And Jesus says, hey, let me, let me just preach this to you a little bit. And they're going, What? You know, he says, peace out, I'm out of here. And they walk away from you. And isn't that life? Isn't that really what happens? Guys, there's a group of people out there we call the, 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 the church. The church. They've, they've walked away from God because they've been hurt by the church. It's a group of people that are going, you know, there was some hard stuff happened in my life and they've sort of walked away. And it's our job to love them back to life. Because for some reason, somebody said, hey, if you give your life to Jesus, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. And I'm going, I wish it was, man. I really do. I wish. But you know what? Being a disciple is the hardest part, but it's, all, it's worth it all. And that, that's, this, listen, church, this is not what we're hearing mainstream church. This is not what we're hearing. We're not hearing, hey, give your life to Jesus, and you're going to suffer. Who wants in? <laughs> not me. <laughs> no. But, but think about it. Think about it. That's what Christianity is. It's living your life. Now, here's what I love. Here's what I love. I love the fact that my God still loves me and protects me. And there's been some hard times in my life, but there's been a lot more good times in my life than there has been hard. Because of God. But I don't want to say, hey, here's here. I'm going to paint, I'm going to paint this with what? There's beautiful butterflies and rainbows, and here's how it is, because then you come to me and go, Ben, listen, this, this just, just happened. What do you, why do you explain this? I say, well, I'm explaining it now. Okay, back in Job. Back in Job. From verses 12 through 19, things get really hard and crazy. You guys ready? 
And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Okay, now here's the ultimate test of love. You guys ready? Here's the ultimate test of love for God. What's that? When everything you own is gone. Okay, now let's stop. Let's pause. This is a great place to pause. I want you to think of everything you own. You got it? Think of your cars. Think of your bank account. Think of your homes. Think of your children. Think of everything you own. Got it? Okay, keep that in mind because this is, this is where it gets tough for Job. Okay? Now, there was a day when the sons and the daughters, his sons, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Verse 14. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, I have, or, or and they've killed your servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, jot this down, guys. There were 500 yoke of oxen gone and taken away. There were 500 female donkeys stolen. So all of Job's possession, gone. The Sabians came in, stole everything. Completely. Here comes a dude. There's Job sitting on his front porch drinking an iced tea, right? Thinking how good God is and wonderful. And, and he sees, he sees the servant. He's like, what's up? Job, I've got bad news. All of your donkeys and all of your oxen, you're gone. Oh, okay. Well, that I don't care about. That's just stuff. It can be replaced. What about the, what about the servants? They're killed. While he was still speaking, verse 16, another also came and said, the fire of God has fell from heaven and burned the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. What are you telling me? 700 sheep with the servants were killed by lightning. Are you kidding me? Well, wait, wait, wait. Let me see if I get this straight. Oxen, donkeys, sheep, all gone. All gone. And meanwhile, while he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. So now, now my 3,000 camels are stolen and all of my servants killed? Now, at this point, guys, I am checking out. Okay? You've just wiped out my bank account. I have no more savings. I don't know what to do. It's not like it's not like he was insured with FDIC. You know what I'm talking about? You have anything? He's gone. I mean, people are being killed. They're being slaughtered. You know, you've got lightning. You've got Sabians. You've got Chaldeans. I mean, everything's. And I'm at this point. If I'm Job, I don't even know. I don't even know how to process this. But it's only stuff until the next verse. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This must be the most dreadful news of all. Job, your seven sons and your three daughters were killed today with a great tornado came through. 
And they didn't have a they didn't have a tornado siren. They didn't know. They were sitting and they were having a great family time and the it came through. They didn't have time to escape and they all died under the rubble of the house. Job did everything right. He was an honest man. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who was devoted to God and he shunned evil and look at everything that's happening to him. Listen, you can take my stuff. Don't touch my kids. Well, there was a tornado. What are you going to do about that? Natural disaster. What are you Are you serious? All of them? All of them, Job. Guys, living a radical life means sometimes there will be suffering in our life. And I wish I could tell you that once you become a follower of Jesus, that nothing bad or sad will ever happen. But that's simply not true. Hopefully, hopefully, not to the extent of Job. But we all know that life can be, man, life can be really hard. And it can be, let's just, let's just say it. Let's just say it in church. It can be depressing. Life can seem hopeless. And I don't know. I wish I could sit behind, stand behind this pulpit and tell you, you know what I would do? I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. But I want my foundation in Jesus to be so secure that at least I know I can hope in the sovereignty of God. I, I can't tell you... Listen, guys, I'm, I just, well, that's just life, you know? We'll just move on. I, listen, everything's gone. I want my foundation to be secure. Well, pastor, you need to have hope because you'll see them again in heaven. That may be true, but I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to react here. But I do know this. We are here at Calvary Chapel, guys, to provide you the most solid foundation for when life does hit that it doesn't sway you and break you. That your hope is in Jesus. That's, that's the whole point. You go, well, how are you doing that? It's through the teaching of the word of God. But listen, you, you go, Pastor, I only come Wednesdays and Sundays or, or so. Listen, that's why the word of God needs to be what? In your lives daily. And you continue to build on the word of God. You continue to build. And then all of a sudden, here comes a storm, and you're standing firm. Why? Because you're secure in Jesus. Well, what does Job do? What does Job do, guys? What does Job do? Verse 20, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. And he said, naked I have come from my mother's room, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave me, and the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Can I give you what I call a busted alert? You know what a busted alert? I don't know if I could worship. It, it, let's, let's be honest. If this happened to us, what, Job worships. I'd be mad. I'd be throwing things. I'd be quitting. That's it, Lord. I'm done. What do you? And and here's my question: Why? Why, Lord? Why? I don't understand. 
Here's my third question. What did I do? It's not anything like that, right? Job knew Jesus. Job knew God. So intimate that the first thing he says is he goes, okay. And notice, church, the first thing he does is worship. Here's the problem. We've been conditioned in our culture to only worship when things get good. When things are good. Praise the Lord. Things are good. Got my raise. Yeah. You know, and we just worship when things are good. She said, yes, let's go. Woo. Praise the We worship when things are good, but we're not conditioned to worship when things are not so good. We're more conditioned to complain. We're more conditioned to blame. Job worships, guys. Job worships. Even in the worst suffering that we could ever imagine, probably in history, right? Job worships the Lord. You guys know who Horatio Spatton is? He wrote, um, It Is Well With My Soul. His whole family got wiped out, drowned. And when asked, he said, It is it is well. It is well. Well, what do we see here? Well, quite appropriately, guys, Job mourned his tremendous loss. He lost his sons and daughters, the servants, with a great amount of material wealth, so he mourned. But Job also decided to do something I think we need to learn, guys. He decided to worship God despite his circumstances and feelings. We might say that he in, he was indeed pure worship and greatly glorifying to God. Of course, I wish, I wish at this point we could close our Bible study and say, that was over, man. Job worshiped and, but let's move on because the test continues. Chapter two, verse one, then again, there was a day when the sons of God to present themselves to the Lord and Satan came among them and presenting himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? And Satan said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, blameless, upright, men who fears God shuns evil. He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and surely he will curse you to your face. Now catch this, guys. Satan here asserted that Job failed to curse God because he was afraid if he did, it would bring personal punishment from God. Satan argued that the problem with the prior attacks was that none of the previous attacks touched Job directly. But the only things next to or outside of Job, basically his family and his possessions. And so the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out in the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with what? With painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with, to which scrape himself while he sat in the midst of his ashes. Oh my goodness. Painful boils. Most commentaries I read was this was so excruciating that he actually walked outside the camp into the into a place called like the dump, you know, where they burned everything. And he took some pieces of 
pottery and just scraped the boils off and screamed in excruciating pain. This is incredible, church, right? Everything gone, and now his health? Then his wife said to him, "Uh uh-oh, here comes Mrs. Job. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, before we before we jump on Mrs. Job, right? Because it sounds like she's she was a mama who lost her family too. We we need to have a heart for that. She was a mama who lost her seven boys and three girls. She lost everything too. Now her husband is sitting there. I mean, she's just like, what is up with this? Job, seriously. Why are you still holding? I mean, but notice what he says. But he said to her, "You speak as one of the fool as as one of the foolish women speaks. She indeed accept. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we accept not adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, here here in lies the key to radical living for God. What's that? Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? That's the key. I want you to catch this before we move on, okay? Job says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. This was wisely worded rebuke to Job's wife. He did not accuse her of being a foolish woman, but speaking like one of a foolish woman, which indicated this was out of character for her. You go, so what's your point? Guys, Job and Mrs. Job, they were tight with Jesus, but it got to the point where she was speaking foolishly, and Job maintained his integrity. He didn't say, woman, you're out of here. Woman, he didn't, he, you know what he did? He just... He said, you're, you're speaking foolish. Could, we're able to sit here with arms wide open and, 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 and just receive all the good that God has, but when something bad happens, we say, oh my goodness, we're just going to walk away from him? He says, no, the key to radical living is we go, we love Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't make our life better, but he's better than life. You want to live radical, guys? Jesus. Now, let's take a moment to see Job's character, okay? First of all, he was an honest man, a man of integrity. That's who Job was. He was devoted to God, and he hated evil. He mourned, but he didn't mourn like the heathen. You know what the heathen would do? They would cut themselves. He didn't. He just mourned. He worshiped in times of trouble and stress. And you need to jot that down. Why? Because, guys, they're going to be stressed. They they, they, uh, pray that there's nothing that happens to us like Job, but there will be stressful times. We need to worship God. I love that he, notice his character. He did not charge God with any wrongdoing. In our lives, in our culture, in our city, in our state, and all around us, there are many people who right away immediately charge God with whatever he does. Why did you do this, God? Why? Job also understood the brevity of life. We should accept only good things from the hand of God and never the bad. He understood how life, how, 
how short life is. And I love the character. He never sinned with his heart or his mouth. Now, let's fast forward to the end of the story. Job 42.10 says this, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. We know the story. He had some compadres that came over that I wouldn't consider compadres. I wouldn't invite them over to my barbecue. Okay, they try to say, Job, what did you do? You sinned. Just confess that. He's like, I didn't do anything. And of course, we have 40 chapters of them going back and forth. And of course, you know the story, but it says here that God restored Job's losses. Verse 12 says, now the Lord blessed the, the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had, notice, 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. So he doubled all his possessions. He didn't double his kids. I don't understand that. But notice he says he also had seven sons and three daughters. He didn't double his kids, but he doubled his possessions. Pastor Ben. Are you saying that if I hold fast in my integrity and I hold fast, I'm going to be blessed at the end of it? Well, Job was. But you know who wasn't? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was was radical for God, man. And he ended up losing his head. He ended up being killed. It didn't end well for John. So so I, I wish I could say, man, it's going to be great. But for some of us, our glory is on that side of heaven. But it didn't matter to Job about the material stuff. He didn't care about that. He held fast to his integrity. Okay, so I have exactly two minutes, three minutes to close, okay? I want to give you four things real fast. Jot these down. These are so important. Four things that God wants you to remember when life gets hard. Four things. Number one, remember that your character should always be stronger than your circumstances. Your character should always be stronger than your circumstances. Guys, we can't always control what happens to us, but we can always control how we choose to respond. In those moments when I choose to stop complaining, instead give thanks to God for good in my life, the parts that seem bad start to seem much less significant. That's number one. Remember, your character should always be stronger than your circumstance. Number two, remember that your struggles always lead to strength. Your struggles always lead to strength. Every difficulty in your life, whether big or small, is something God will use to produce more strength, faith, and perseverance if you will let him. All your pain has a purpose. All your pain has a purpose. Good place for an amen. Number three, remember that God's timing is always perfect. God's plans are most always different from our plans, but his plans are always perfect. Number four, Remember that God will never leave your side. You may feel like you're going through this struggle all alone, but from the moment you ask Jesus to bring you into God's family, 
He will be by your side to the end. So never lose hope. Never lose hope. God, we thank you in our lives for suffering. We thank you for these suffering. We thank you because, Lord, we can grow, but we know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. God, grow our character so we can be strong in our circumstances. These struggles, God, that we face each day, Lord, help us lead us to strength. Strengthen you. Strengthen our walks with you. Strengthen our marriages. Father, help us to remember that your timing is always perfect. And, and God, thank you for reminding us that you will never, ever, ever leave our side. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.